Good morning, guys. By the way, there's a table outside. Bridge Ministry is right out here. Go visit them if you get a chance. Good morning to you guys watching in the portable. Thank you so much for being patient. We're almost there. Trust me, we'll be in the new building soon enough. I think most of you know that I was raised Catholic. And as a matter of fact, all my schooling here in Laredo was in Catholic school. I went to Guadalupe as a little guy, and then I went to Saint and graduated from San Agustin. Shout out to my knights. Nobody? All right. I'm a knight. Yes, proud of it. But you know what? As I look back, I didn't really think back then about the afterlife. In other words, I never really thought where I'd be if I would die. Because what I thought was, you know what? I know the Catholic religion. I try to obey the commandments. I try to do the things that I've been taught. My overall thinking was like this. I think I'm okay, so I will be okay. I think that's a lot of our mentalities nowadays. When I ask people if they were to die today and they stood before their creator and he would ask them, why should I let you into my kingdom for eternity? How would you respond? And most of the response I get are like this. Well, God knows my heart. He knows I'm not perfect, but he knows that I try to be a good person. He knows I try to go to church. He knows I try. He knows all these things. If I were to ask you that same question, you'd probably respond the same way. You think, mm, I think I'm good enough, and so my bad deeds are less than my good deeds, so because of that, I'll be in heaven. Am I right? And if that's your way of thinking, then let me ask you this. Where is the passing grade, if you will, to be able to go to heaven? Let me put it the way Andy Stanley puts it. How good is good enough? And what we try to do, we try to compare if we're honest. We look at Mother Teresa and we say, well, Mother Teresa for sure is in heaven because she got an A+. Well, let me share with you, church, you ain't no Mother Teresa. And if our standard is being as good as Mother Teresa, then all of us are doomed. But then we look at the other extreme and we think of Hitler. Well, I'm no Hitler. And I'm pretty sure most of us, if not all of us, think Hitler is in hell. So we're thinking we need to be good enough as Mother Teresa to go to heaven, but we're not as bad as Hitler not to go to hell. Then where is this passing grade? How good does someone have to be to be able to spend eternity with Christ? And let me throw this at you, this verse, because Paul is really clear of how good we need to be in Romans 3, verses 11 through 12. Listen to what it says. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. Now check this one out. No one seeks for God. I've done Bible studies on this word no one, and it means no one, nobody, nadie. No one seeks for God. Verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does what? No one does good. Not even one. No one does good. We will never, no one will ever be good enough. So how does one get to heaven? 
Today we continue our series on Ephesians, our series called His Will, Our Way. And we're going to start a brand new chapter, Ephesians chapter 2. So have your Bibles with you. Please open them up to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be going over verses 1 through 10 this morning. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10. We are going to have all the verses on the screen behind me. But again, I encourage you guys to open up your Bibles, bring your Bibles, circle them, underline, take some notes. Then we can go home and study further what we went over today. But we're going to answer really three questions in today's verses. We're going to answer the question, who, what, and why? Who, what, and why? Who we were, what God did, and why God did it. Those are the three questions we will answer in today's verses. But before we jump into verse 1 of chapter 2, let me recap a little bit on how we started this series. Chapter 1, so beautiful as Paul wrote this letter to many churches back then and is still being proclaimed today. And he opens up by letting us know the work of the Trinity in our salvation it's beautiful how he says that we've been chosen by God. It was a selection of the Father before time even existed. We were redeemed by Christ. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ redeemed all believers. And then the beautiful promise that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit is the guarantee given to us by the Holy Spirit. And then last week as we concluded chapter 1, we saw three things as well. That in him, in Jesus Christ... Paul is praying that we come to the knowledge, to the wisdom, and understand truly the hope we have in him, the inheritance we have in him, and the power that we have in him. And as we open up today's verses, he's going to continue this conversation about power. Not our power, but his power, but the power of God and what he did for you and for me and anybody who's put their trust in Jesus Christ. So let's begin. Who were we? He's going to mention three things. The first thing we're going to see is that we were once spiritually dead. We were once spiritually dead. Verse 1, chapter 2, Ephesians. And you were, notice it's past tense. And you were dead to the trespasses and sins in once you once walked, in how you once lived. He's saying all of us were once in this condition. Now the word death, dead in Greek, it's literally to be helpless. What can a dead person do? Absolutely nothing. It means to be powerless. And Paul is saying that you and I, anyone before Christ was spiritually dead. Impossible for that person to seek after God. And then he goes on. Not only were we spiritually dead, we were also away from God. Spiritually dead, away from God. Walking in the opposite direction from God. Verse 2, he says, we're following the course of this world. We were dead men walking. That's who we were. All of us walking in darkness. Refusing to see the light. That is our sin nature. We were born this way. Spiritually dead, walking away from God. And the third thing is we were following Satan. We're following the ways of this world. Look what he says again in verse 2. We're following the prince of the power of the air. That is Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Some people are still 
walking in this manner, is what Paul is saying. We were following Satan. He continues, verse 3, among whom we all, now he includes himself, among whom we all once lived, and he's going to mention these things, four things. We once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, like the rest of the people that are without God. Four different lifestyles we were once living before God. Again, he says, we were once living in the passions of our flesh, lusting, overindulging things. And when we do that, when we are guided by our lust, it almost always leads to sin. He says that we were once desiring the body. We wanted our wishes, everything for us. We made decisions based on physical, not spiritual decisions. Never walking by the spirit, but walking by the flesh. And he says the same thing. He says we had the desires in our minds. We were self-centered. Our way of thinking was of this world, not of the things above. But he also says, and this is very important, we all were once children of wrath. Every single one of us was condemned by default. Every single one of us before God was under his divine judgment. Let me put it to you nicely. Every single one of us before God was destined to hell. That's exactly what Paul is saying our condition was. He says, was, we were, past tense. Church, let me ask you, is this a past tense in your life? Are you still living this type of lifestyle? Are you still overindulging things? Now hear me, there's nothing wrong with enjoying things, but is that your desire? Is that your passion? Where is God in your life? A lot of us, I hear this all the time, a lot of us say, no, God is number one. It's God, family, and everything else. Really? Is that the way you're living? Be honest with yourself. Is church a priority in your life? Is opening up God's word a priority in your life? Are you a Christian just because you say you're a Christian? Are you living out following Christ? If I were to look at your Facebook post, what would I see? Many of us, many of us declare to be Christians, but we're only Christians for two hours on Sunday. The rest of the week, I believe we're living non-Christ-like. But this is even more important, church. Are you still under the wrath of God? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? See, Andy Stanley, I love the way he says this. He says this, good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people do. Have you repented? Have you acknowledged that you are a sinner in need of a savior? Have you realized that you cannot be good enough? Have you come before God and say, God, I'm all yours. Have you accepted and trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because if you have not, you are still under the divine punishment of God. Now Paul is going to transition from the wrath of God to the mercy and love of God. 
This is what God did for you and for me. He made us alive. God made us alive. From dead to life is what God did. Verse 4. I love these words. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, here it is, made us alive together with Christ. And don't miss this. By grace you have been saved. See, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we are no longer dead in our trespasses. We are brought to life in Christ. Why? Why does God do this? Why did he do this for me and for you? It's right here because of his mercy and his great love. But we have to also comprehend this truth. When did he do this? Verse 5, when we were dead in our trespasses. That's when he did it. Picture this. Imagine this. Realize this. When we were bucking away from God, when we want nothing to do with God, when we were literally chasing after saying, he saved you and me. I remember, man, it must have been about five years ago. I wasn't sure my dad understood the gospel. So I invited him, in, invited him to, to coffee and we sat there. And I said, dad, do you understand? And I read these verses verbatim. Even while you were still dead in your trespasses, he came and reached you, meets you right where you're at. And at that moment, my dad said, no, I've done these horrible things. I've been a horrible father. It can't be. And I, I even went to Romans and I said that. Romans 5, 8 says this, the same thing. But God shows his love for us and that we were still sinners. Christ died for you, dad. God's not out to get you. God loves you. Church, God's not out to get you. God loves you and meets you right where you're at. Dead in your trespasses. My father didn't comprehend or grasp the gospel. It wasn't his time yet. But six months later, I baptized him. We need to share the gospel, church. And these are great verses to use to show the love and mercy that he has. Let's go back to Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5, because there's so much in here. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we're dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He throws that in there. Paul does. For us not to miss it. You know what grace is? The definition of grace? Unmerited, undeserved love. By grace you and I have been saved. We definitely didn't earn it. And we definitely didn't deserve it. What did God do for you and for me? He made us alive, but he also raised us up and seated us up with Christ. Made us alive, raised us up, and seated us with Christ. Verse 6, and he says, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul says to you and to me, God's love has, does the, has done these things. Made us alive, gives life to the dead. He has raised us up with Christ. Believers will one day be resurrected. Paul mentions the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his 
power. But he also, the third thing that God's love has done for all believers is that he has placed us up in the heavenly places. We are positioned spiritually with him now. That is a guarantee. That is a security. That is an awesome truth. Paul says this in Philippians 3 verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. It's there. We belong there. All believers do. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this chapter. I'm going to pause here just quickly and just go back to one of the verse we read last week. Because Paul is praying for believers to understand truly these truths. But he says that you fully understand the power. What power is he talking about? Go with me back to Ephesians 1 verse 20. And he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Why do I mention this? Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and has seated him up in the heavenly places is the same power that is working in you and me, all believers. We will be resurrected and seated up in the heavenly places with him. That is the inheritance that we get. I want you to read this out loud with me, this next verse. Would you please? These promises we just read. Read this out loud. I am alive, raised up, and seated with Christ. I'm saying for you to read out loud because to me this is so awesome. Why? Why are we alive? Why are we raised up? Why are we seated with Christ? Verse 7. So that in the coming ages, in the future, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What is this immeasurable riches of his grace? You know what it is? Our salvation. Church, in the future... Christ is coming back, Lord of Lord and King of Kings, and every knee will bow. And this immeasurable rich of his grace, people all over the world, including Satan, not a person, but Satan is going to realize, what? Sinners get to spend eternity with God? How can that be? And that's what Paul is saying. The truth that in his time, He's going to show and we're going to truly understand what salvation is. I want you to read this next verse with me out loud with a little more ganas, if you will. Verse 8. Read it with me. Good morning and welcome to Grace. Amen. I want to go over these verses again and go slowly. I want you to understand this is the gospel, church. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace is the basis of our salvation. And faith is the means. By God's grace we have been saved through faith, through faith in Jesus Christ. This is not your own doing. You can never be good enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't read your Bibles enough. You can't tithe enough. You can't be good enough. It is by grace, through faith. It is a gift of God. A gift is freely given, but it costs the giver something. Our gift of salvation costs God the death of his son. That is what we're proclaiming. And he says it again, verse 9, not a result of works. 
You can't do anything so that you may not boast. We were once dead, remember? A dead person can't do anything. It is by the grace, it is by his mercy, it is through faith in Jesus Christ. Once we put our trust in Jesus Christ and believed in our hearts that he died for our sins and he rose again and that was sufficient for our forgiveness. When we believe in that. At that moment, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are justified and we have eternity with him. Not because of us, our good works, because of his perfect work at the cross. That is salvation, church. That is the good news. That is the gift of God. So when I ask someone, if you were to die today, and God asked you, why should I let you into heaven? And they start responding, because I did this, because I, I, I. I stop and say, no. You and I had nothing to do with it. It's all because of him. That's the gospel. He was good enough because we could never be good enough. And we could never boast. All the glory belongs to God. We were once dead. What did God do? He gave us life. Why? Why did God do this? Verse 10. For we, plural, referring to the church, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. When? Which God prepared beforehand that we, the church, should walk in them. Our salvation is God's workmanship. As believers, we become workers of Christ. Listen closely, church. We are not saved by works. We are saved for good works to give him glory. That is the purpose of our salvation. Notice two more things that he says here. He says that God is working in you and God is working through you. That's salvation. You've been justified and now you got to go and do things for him. I love what Timothy Keller says. He says this, God invites us to come as we are, not to stay as we are. See, a lot of us have put our trust in Jesus Christ and have this mentality of the forgiveness only gospel. I've got my ticket to heaven. Woohoo, it's all cruising from here on out. No, Jesus says, believe, repent, believe, and follow me. Following takes work. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. It's not cruise control, church. We need to be sanctified. We need to be more like Christ every day through the help of the Holy Spirit. You and I, church, are his workmanship. And we, he is not done with us. Can't kick back. We need to make disciples who make disciples, share the gospel, love one another. We are his workmanship. He has equipped every believer to do good works for his glory. Let me wrap it up in today's sermon point. Dead to sin, saved by grace for his glory. We were all once dead, but God saved us by grace. For what purpose? To glorify him. So the question is again, Are you still dead in your trespasses? If this is you, church, come to him. Repent. Ask him for forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive. If you're still thinking that you're not good enough, you're not. You'll never be. 
the beauty of grace. Now, if you are sitting here and you have trusted Jesus Christ, how are you living? Are you his vessel? Are you glorifying him with your words and your deeds? Imagine a church family, my church family, our church family, Grace Bible Church, that really took the Great Commission to heart and went out there and shared the gospel to make disciples, baptizing others, new people coming to church. Imagine if we were bold enough the way Paul says in Romans I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's a power to save. If we were bold enough to share the gospel with your loved ones, with your neighbors, with anyone that God has put in your heart. Imagine if we were a church that were serving others, loving others, and glorifying God by our works. Imagine what would happen. I know what would happen. We would realize how amazing God's grace is. And all of Laredo will also see God's amazing grace. Let's pray, church. Father, we do give you thanks and praise for your son's work at the cross. And Father, I pray that these words, your words we just read today, penetrate our hearts. Holy Spirit, will you move in us? For those that haven't understood the gospel, if this is their first time hearing it or they have questions, Father, will you lead them to me or to any other pastor, any other person here at your church so we can clarify. But it begins with repenting. Have them come to you and just say that they're a sinner in need of your son, Jesus Christ, the only Savior. And Father, I pray for those of us that have trusted your son as their Lord and Savior. Will you activate us? Move us, keep working on us, sanctify us. As we are into a new campus, there's so much more work to be done. Your son prayed, not for harvest, but for harvesters. Let us be the harvesters. Let us be the church you've called us to be. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. I love you, church. We're going to finish Ephesians chapter 2 next Sunday. Read up on it. God bless you guys.